Hi, everybody. Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. We are picking up exactly where we left off the other day, talking about 17 main categories of things we must discuss about BTS's new official book. Let's jump right back in. Number nine. Promoting in the USA, from the UN speeches to SNL to American Hustle Life, BTS's US and English language-focused promotional activities they really poke a memory with bringing up American Hustle Life, which they filmed on location in LA at the same time as they were working on Dark and Wild. So that promo schedule was insane. It was also kind of a culture shock, not just being in LA, but the reality show format was so different than Korean reality shows. So it was kind of a hard trip mentally. It was also a follow-up because apparently Jungkook was sent on a study trip, they call it, to familiarize himself with the U.S. back in 2012, pre-debut. They then recall, though, 2017 and post-2017 experiences here where they were treated with much higher regard and status. They had so much pressure with that November AMAs in 2017 being the first Korean artist invited ever to attend the ceremony. That was also a year where they were the only act from Asia to perform. That was the year they kicked off the UNICEF Love Myself Partnership. Then in September 2018, they gave a UNICEF speech at the headquarters in New York. They gave another special speech in 2021. They performed Permission to Dance with a million logistical hurdles that made that one not one of their favorite performances. It was their first post-pandemic overseas stage. Really big deal and logistically really rough. The year they gave the UN speech about reframing us pandemic millennials and Gen Zers as not the lost generation, but the welcome generation, ready to welcome a new world on the other side of the pandemic. Jungkook reflected, quote, We didn't try anything fancy. Our wish was just that people would become more interested in these issues through us, that they were issues with high barriers of entry, and maybe we could help make it easier to talk about them, unquote. Suga went on to say, quote, If people can get even a little more interested in these issues through us, didn't our fame make it our responsibility to take that on? Something underappreciated is the length of some of their English interviews. The author details how there would be hour-long sit-downs in North America they gave. And it's not just that RM had to really do the bulk of it, at least at first, the English interviews, but pick up on different dialects, accents, depending on part of the country, different slang. It's like a bunch of languages in one. No matter what language you're speaking, there's there's so many nuances to it that make it hard and nerve-wracking to speak in. And that was so much pressure, especially because they worried about what they were trying to say getting lost in translation. The author also interestingly brings up the fact there is a tendency in Western interviews to frame their answers as representing speaking on behalf of all of K-pop. Wild to think about, but that's kind of a close-minded way that interviews have gone. We see them asked questions that seem to imply that they know everything about everyone else in K-pop, like it's just one big family. And they're all so different. And so that sense of obligation to represent way too many people than is possible, that is also highlighted in the book as something that brought them the opposite of joy. They also seem to reflect on the U.S. promo, always with gratitude, don't get me wrong, but also with a ton of just recalling, yeah, that was scary and nerve-wracking, as opposed to just that was fun. 
about things like SNL, which really was a big deal for them. They are very grateful for that. But the stage they got to work with was so small, literally so small. Things like that made them nervous, having to adjust logistically. They also, of course, have had Beatles comparisons, and I love the author's reframing of it. Not just like, it's like Beatlemania, but I'm paraphrasing here, but the author says something to the effect of, they have to go so far back in time to the Beatles to find a comparable success level to talk about. Like, not just, oh my gosh, this is Beatlemania again, but wow, you have to go all the way back to the Beatles to compare BTS to someone? I love that change of looking at it. Then there was the iconic Time magazine cover they made that J-Hope was so proud of he blew it up, framed it on his living room wall, and made everyone sign like he was a fan. Topic number 10, burnout, and their much-needed hiatus when they finally got a month off summer 2019 and how that changed them. RM compares how he felt back in summer 2019 when they went on that month-long hiatus. He compared it to watching the movie Bohemian Rhapsody from 2018 when Brian May in the movie says, this is what we do, album, tour, album, tour, that endless cycle. That part of the movie really hit home for him, made him think, wow, we are on this hamster wheel that never stops. So he was very grateful to reset but they also truly love this so much that sometimes they give themselves more work than they have to. Like, apparently there was zero pressure to do a dance performance for the Megan Thee Stallion remix of Butter, but they did of their own volition. They did lose out on quite a bit of potential revenue. Because Map of the Soul was going to be a trilogy, but it got turned into just a two-parter. The book seems to imply because they decided to take a break instead. The BTS members describe others as kind of looking at them like they were nuts when they agreed to renew their contracts for seven more years, but they all did, they all renewed in 2018. Big Hit Entertainment at the time was encouraging back in 2018 for an early renewal because they knew they'd be on tour the next few years past the contract expiration date, so to clarify, let's just renew now. And they did after so much thought. They really racked their brains over, do we really want to do this? J-Hope said, quote, it was hell. This was the first time there'd been such a serious atmosphere that we weren't sure if we could keep going. We couldn't concentrate. I really believed that time to be a crisis. We were in a stupor, unquote. But it was going to be seven or no one. Jin said, quote, if anyone left, I would step away from the entertainment business and do something else for a living, unquote. It was clear they needed a recharge period, which is what they got with that one-month hiatus. They finally got years after debut. That was all the buzz because it was like, you're finally taking a break? And it was a month, which was still plenty, they thought, to feel recharged. Although J-Hope spent that break filming Chicken Noodle Soup. RM spent that break cultivating his new love of visual art, like art museum trips. Jin played a ton of games online. They really did enjoy that break, it sounds like. Comments in the book about their bond with each other, this genuine brotherhood. That took some time, for sure, but it's there now. Jimin and Jungkook recall a time Jungkook was really just sad, down in the dumps, went to a bar alone to drink, and so Jimin was worried and went to go check on him. Jungkook said, quote, I don't remember much of what we talked about, but I was pretty moved that Jimin had come because he'd come to comfort me, unquote. Jimin said, quote, I learned for the first time just how much he was struggling, and I cried a lot, unquote. It makes me think of phrases like, people will forget what you say, but not how you make them feel. 
those types of stories where they don't specify what they said to each other, but they talk about how they made each other feel, that was very common in the book. Lots of stories like that about just a true, deeper bond. Jim and Jungkook also reminisced happily about a therapeutic trip to Japan. And they really enjoyed going out unnoticed because it was Halloween. So they had a basically a typical person vacation. Jimin has had his own dark times and recalls a time he felt just so, so depressed. And that he went in this small room and didn't come out for a long time. He felt like he just wanted to lock himself away, but the other members really helped him over time get back out there. Of course, then there's the famous dumpling incident, and the book dives into the emotional context behind it. It's silly on its surface, a fight between Jimin and V over eat dumplings now or later, during or after practice, but it runs deeper because it was kind of a culmination fight after all these feelings had been brewing of V being pressured and overwhelmed, pulling double duty, filming, acting, as well as being a singer still and practicing with the group. So he had no time to do anything. And then Jimin, of course, wanted to be professional, keep V on schedule. So the tension reached a fever pitch. I should also note that the acting gig V was stressed about, Hua Rain, the Poet Warrior Youth, that was set for KBS's primetime slot. Big, big deal, let alone for his first major acting gig. They said they bonded, just put it behind them after a few days. They made up over drinks, heard each other out, but V does admit him and Jimin used to butt heads quite a bit. They seem to have kind of worked through that. We get that sense in the song Friends. They got to understand each other better. A lot of these stories, these anecdotes they shared, end with that sort of talk, like a deeper, long talk with each other to see each other's point of view. It's really refreshing, just the communication and openness. J-Hope said, quote, We're basically family. When they suffer, I want to be next to them. And when they rejoice, I want to laugh with them. And when they have worries, I want to listen to them, unquote which is such a beautiful way to describe a lasting friendship. Topic number 12. We talked about their genuine bond with each other. Now let's talk about their genuine feelings toward the fans, because they mention ARMY a ton in this book. So many touching quotes. Jimin especially goes on and on, gushing about times he was in a funk, watched a video with fans singing, and remember what it's all about. He recalls the first time he ever truly cherished a birthday, being in 2016 when ARMY sang to him on site of a pre-recording. J-Hope talked about always keeping in mind fans while working hard and how it's an interesting give and take of energy between us. We both give each other strength. V and Suga had similar sentiments, Suga going as far as to say, quote, If you remove the fans from my life, I'm a really pathetic person. I'm just nothing. I think I have to take responsibility. I think that's one of the driving forces that moves me. If it wasn't for that, I don't think I could have done this work, unquote. Topic 13. The author and the members say things several times in the book that really add to the argument that diversity is a true strength of it that this fanbase's diversity is apparent and so worth cherishing. J-Hope talks about how they were able to really work as a team better and quicker because, quote, I don't think we had prejudice about one another's hometowns, so the conversations were easygoing and we could just laugh together and enjoy our hometown stories. We had respect for one another's origins, unquote. Elsewhere in the book, there are two direct quotes I want to share. I'll just share them back to back. 
BTS's debut was set, the members had a clear goal and the disparate perspectives stemming from differences in age's hometown and musical background slowly converged. Diverse personalities and backgrounds became a touchstone that allows their fans to emotionally immerse themselves, unquote. That shared emotional immersion, despite differences, or maybe because of differences, it's so powerful. That's what music is all about. And that special synergy with diversity being a strength, helping people see each other's humanity and connect, that was emphasized as J-Hope described filming Chicken Noodle Soup, too, in how he called it a dance of one. Like this big group of people who didn't know each other really suddenly danced in unison like magic, all on the same page thanks to music. Topic 14. Getting vocal, really speaking their minds, not being afraid to comment on social issues and history in their music. J-Hope reflected on the song Masidi and how it came together after he looked into the history of his hometown, Guangzhou. The Masidi lyric, Everybody Dial 062518, that's a reference to that town's democratization movement of 1980. That first number being the town's area code, the second being the date of that movement. 518. As you likely know by now, Spring Day has always been assumed to be about the Seoul Ferry tragedy. A ferry tragedy killed a ton of high school students, 304 dead and missing. Back in 2014, not all safety measures were taken. It really became a historic event in South Korea, and people always assumed the music video is a reference in a tribute to the dead and missing. With the mountain of clothes, the somber tone, spring became associated at that time with sadness. Not a coming out of winter, ready for a fresh start, but a lingering sense of winter, like within you. At a deep level, a sense of spring is not all sunshine. And that grief people still harbored is what gave the song resonance. And every year, Spring Day, back up on the charts. The book does not say overtly yes to that question. Is that song about the fairy tragedy? However, the book does cite the fact the series Unanswered Questions included this on Spring Day in their coverage on the anniversary of the fairy tragedy. The book also dedicates a page to this, talks about the fact people reached that conclusion. Not sure they would include that in the book at all if it weren't true. But it's interesting, even when every arrow points to one specific interpretation of their song, they still like to play coy, let you decide officially what that song means to you. And it meant a lot. Suga did reference it in Dear My Friend from his D2 mixtape. The book does include comments talking about the song's meaning as focusing on missing someone, nice and vague, and that he had started to think of spring is not all happy. Although he cites RM is talking about the context of what he's reading, not the context of this fairy accident specifically made me reevaluate what spring represents, but the authors I read, their metaphor usage and stuff made me think, wait, actually spring is not all rosy. Another aspect of social issues covered in their work that the book discusses, misogyny. Because in the early days, the rap and hip-hop they were doing, especially War of Hormone, let's just say there were critics for some pretty valid reasons about certain lyrics and stuff like that. 
It's interesting how this part of the book talks about that chapter being over and having learned from it early and how the members feel grateful now. They experienced critics toward that content early in their career, so now they could kind of grow up and mature with better music that is more careful. Now, officially, every hybe artist is required to go through gender sensitivity training before debut. From the author, quote, Once BTS had achieved success, they were criticized on the grounds that some of their lyrics were misogynistic. RM, who'd been exposed to hip-hop from a young age, had come to understand its misogynistic elements as characteristic of the genre, unquote. RM cites as a turning point that made him think, I really have to speak out more, was the Gangnam Station murder. Long story short, back in 2016, in a public bathroom by Gangnam Station, a woman was killed by a stranger. So women's safety in public became a big topic. It should always be a topic, but you know what I mean, especially then. So Arm cites that as a key moment, and he said this fantastic quote, From a woman's perspective, I think there was no choice but to speak out even more. Someone I know said if you call a situation of equality zero and the world's injustice is at as much as plus 10, then those experiencing injustice have no choice but to emphasize not zero, but negative 10 in order to achieve equality. Those words really hit home for me, unquote. I love that way of putting it. That when there's a social issue, if you don't speak out, you're helping with a zero. When really you should be helping with a 10 to counteract the 10 in the other direction in this analogy. You can't just be silent. That's complicity. And if someone has to bear the burden of the plus 10, again, as this analogy posits, then you need to help be a solution by being a minus 10. I just thought that was a really cool way to put it. Plus, I'm a math nerd, so I also had an extra appreciation for that metaphor. Topic 15. Lots of interesting behind-the-scenes anecdotes about working on specific songs and albums. Lots of interesting context. I love the story they present by talking about the subject of each intro, interlude, outro, and the skits, the hidden tracks. Those bonus tracks, you could say, the atypical songs, really tell the story in summary. The school trilogy had intros saying, we're here to tell the stories of the youth. They introduced themselves in cipher form. They had a skit called On the Start Line, CD-only skit, about struggling to belong. The skit, Are You Happy Now?, shows their conflicted emotions because it implies the answer is yes, but they acknowledge in the song, the skit, the pack schedules, the hecticness. Then they get a little cheeky, though, imagining what their success could look like down the road in If I Ruled the World. When they pivoted to the dark and wild era, away from their earliest sound, they departed from R&B hip-hop in some ways and went for more detail and the author describes it as more intricate, which checks out. And at this point, they went from saying here's who we are to intro what am I to you. There's an interesting story as well told with moving on, queuing up the outro, love is not over. And they continue to not move on, but just get hyped and keep saying the same thing in the repetitive goal-related skit called Expectation. BTS meant for the song Dope to be thought of as the dope meaning stink with sweat. Because there are two meanings of this word in Korean. One way to translate it in Korean is on a roll or awesome. Another way is to stink with sweat. And they meant that version, putting our blood, sweat, and tears into this. 
Too Cool for School and other school trilogy eras were about figuring out who they are, how to represent themselves to the world. They described this period as sweet, bitter, sweet, bitter. Like the album releases felt like a real good career moment, then back to being a disappointment. Oh, Are You Late 2 was considered a relative disappointment reception-wise, and the members described the release of No as pretty humbling. No More Dream had even more prep behind it than you thought. RM came up with 29 different versions of the rap lyrics. 29 versions. That iconic move where Jimin flips around J-Hope, who lands on his knee, he got an injury from that. When they did that dance, though, not just that move, but other cool moments like Jungkook catching that hat before his solo moment to shine, that performance as a whole led to over 30 phone calls to the head of big hit business with praise and or even business opportunity offers. That We Are Bulletproof Part 2 performance, that mixed with No More Dreams, many raps, many renditions, just shows they really had what it takes, but it did take a lot of, excuse the pun, blood, sweat, and tears. Cypher Triptych is described in the book as kind of a prologue, the before story, the after, the future looking one, is tomorrow, which is quite meaningful because they managed to get that out in the world after even more stress than usual because mid-production Suga got appendicitis and needed surgery. Danger was really hard to make. The melody was not coming to them. RM described it as a state of emergency, not knowing what to do for it. Sugar recalls them even still coming up with choreography the day before filming. It was also a time they felt pressured to level up, to really step up their game compared to their debut set of singles. It was time to not fall into a sophomore slump. Not really a sophomore slump, but that kind of thing. They used the phrase cottage industry production to describe making the next big era the most beautiful moments in life, a period when Suga started drinking and hardly ever left the studio, which was right attached to the training center, so it sounds like kind of just 24-7 they worked on this album. All work and no play. Just, hey guys, come over here. It was all right there. Check this out, and they would in real time change parts of songs, so just constant real-time feedback as they made this. Part 2 of The Most Beautiful Moment in Life got pushed back two months. They also had to deal with challenges like bridge the gap between I need you and dope tonally. Because dope was more, we're here, I need you was more, we're not doing so well, kind of. It was a contrast. Run BTS, coming out along with the song I Need You, is what signaled the start of what they call the self-produced content era. I Need You is big, like I said before, for being outside of the norm for a title track for a K-pop act in general, but also for the raw direct delivery and video story, but also for this group specifically, because now they started not just doing the kind of dance routine with big, fierce movements that tell the whole story. Now part of the story in their dance came from facial expressions, more detailed, subtle, emotional aspects. So it was a new challenge for them. They also had to act more, because now they would go on into the Wings era, really focusing on playing characters with abstract symbols, props, all that. J-Hope was trying to perform Boy Meets Evil while picturing some boy hanging off a cliff. V tried to depict a character who the audience couldn't tell for sure if he was evil or good. I Need You is when Jin permanently changed his vocal delivery. He says that's when he really just pivoted totally in how he sang. 
So a lot changed just process-wise, making music with I Need You. The follow-up run was a given. Love that gem so much. Definitely one of their best songs ever, honestly. Run is so high quality, and they knew it too. Right away, that was an easy title track choice. They all heard it and sounded like they knew this is it right away. Jin says, though, his favorite BTS song ever, or one of them, is Fire. Because the good memories from that time when the group was really gaining popularity and financial success for the company, they felt accomplished, and he gained lots of confidence during that promo period. The author mentions some of the many reasons Blood, Sweat, and Tears was so just iconic. One was that it really helped draw in the audience right away with that intro. Like, you know something's about to go down with that intro. Plus, there was the new visual feast in abstract storytelling. There also was a careful tracklist order with the Wings era, from Lost by the vocalists to Cypher 4 by the rappers, then they all come back together for Am I Ron? They also had that incredible stage performance, and they showed another contrast. Like Dope and I Need You, this set of songs were different, completely. Dope was all about constant motion in the dance. Blood, Sweat, and Tears' power as a dance came from stoic moments, from being standing in place, those facial expressions, more subtle gestures. There's some interesting backstories about how their solos for Wings came together. Jin really fought for a week to have his personal touch. There were different versions, but he insisted, if it's not too trashy, basically is what he said, can we please go with my version of these lyrics? RM grew to not like the rain in the same light, but used to love the rain and the ability for an umbrella to make him alone in the crowd, like no one saw his face but he could be among the public. And that's what he wanted to convey through the vibe of reflection. Suga said he worked on his solo for the album, First Love, as kind of a partner song with So Far Away, featuring Saran, which ended up on a solo project. As a counterpart to First Love, he still considers it. And he also chose very carefully where in the tracklist it should go to be both not a downer or an upper, but a natural transition midpoint. Jimin came up with Lie after talks with Mr. Bang, just talking out all his emotions, and one word that stood out to Mr. Bang, he recalled, was the word Lie kept coming up, feeling like he was living a lie, that kind of thing. But Jimin didn't care for the song at first. He'd wanted to go in a more mainstream direction with his sound, something more upbeat and light. There were so many do-over rounds of working on that song. It's really interesting in hindsight to hear him say he wanted to do lighter classic pop bops because that's what we got now with Jimin's solo work. There's Stigma, which V added a falsetto to as kind of ad-libbed. He said he found the song boring and wanted to mix it up. The Love Yourself albums, Her and Tear, or Tear, meant to be both, are described as the interior versus the exterior mind. That's why Serendipity and Singularity, as intro tracks, were meant to be very different vibes. The cloud-like feeling of calmly listening to Serendipity versus the darker, ominous undertone to Singularity, meant to be a contrast. The author also brings up a detail about the tracklist order I had not paid attention to before, which is that Love Maze is in the middle. Love Maze is stuck in the middle of Love Yourself Tear intentionally. The first half is about, ugh, it's inescapable. The second half of the album becomes, but I wouldn't have it any other way, with the lighter, more danceable second half. 
Then the map of the soul eras, which again brought attention to their tracklist order being very smart for sending an extra message, and the contrasts they make between songs intentionally. So they're always going from one end of an emotional spectrum to another, really, really without a moment to spare, effortlessly. This time Mic Drop was followed with Boy With Love, and Mic Drop was meant to be kind of a self-declaration. Boy With Love now is, now it's your turn. They hand you the mic. Suga said there was a big overall shift in how he approached making music with Map of the Soul. With those eras, he became less of a perfectionist and realized the good in just winging it more and working with others more, not solely doing stuff on his own. So he started letting more people in on the process, loosening up about that. Another balancing factor highlighted for Map of the Soul 7, friends in contrast to Black Swan. Knowing your friends, like the back of your hand, versus knowing your enemy, not at all. (laughs) They also have another first half versus second half duality in the story, with interlude shadow making that dividing line. Even emphasis on certain lyrics was taken into account, like in Make It Right, saying things like, everything is to reach you, and the answer is my journey, that stuff was intentionally drawn attention to, more than some of the other words. Ironically, things were not great when they wrote Make It Right, and Suga said at that point, quote, I could see it ending badly, the kind of ending that happens to successful people. There was this feeling that people were waiting for us below, thinking, when are they going to fall from there, unquote. An interesting detail brought to the reader's attention about Suga is that in the most beautiful moment in life intro, he's alone on a basketball court. The scene for intro, never mind, has him in this cheer-filled arena. A sense of emptiness juxtaposed with that title, the most beautiful moment in life. Then you have a sense of fullness from the crowd juxtaposed with the nonchalance. When it comes to the Wings era and Blood, Sweat, and Tears' appeal and what made it different, beyond everything else performance-wise we've already talked about, the author cites the fact it was, quote, a blatant reversal of K-pop industry trends. The members were not the tempters, but the temp dead, unquote. Which I find a great summary of part of their story's interest. The interest in it because they subvert the expectation that they're going to just be seductive and have a surface level story like that about wooing someone. No, they are the ones who are tempted, might become sinners. The commentary about DNA made me appreciate it more, especially after feeling bad for that song, hearing that Mr. Bang's OG version did not fly with them. But it sounds like a lot of detail was put into the final product, so it was very different and they liked it eventually. But it's interesting noting in the book the basketball noises in it and the other ways they really tried to craft a sound that felt big and spatial to go with the literally out-of-this-world theme. RM called the Love Yourself Her era, giving him the feeling of both painting a canvas and then drawing a picture on top, like a layered story. Fake love is kind of a fake out, meaning-wise. Making people think it's about fake love. Just on its face, someone you thought you loved, you don't. But the book's description is subversive. It's actually about feeling like you're faking who you are to your love. You have to fake who you really are, mask your true emotions, fearing what will happen when they see the full you. Jin actually compared it to his feeling around ARMY in worrying he would disappoint us. He doesn't want to wear a mask around us anymore. The author describes Map of the Soul as talking to you. 
you, the reader, and going inward for interlude shadow, then coming out again to you. And sounds like inner child were meant to be ones you could interpret as about yourself or V or whoever's saying that song. Some classic moments, very BTS moments, in the Map of the Soul eras that are highlighted in the book include the fact that Microcosmos describes everyone's light is precious in this world. That wording's very summative of BTS's whole thing. As well as the song on, because it doesn't promise anything. It's not everything is dandy. It's just a song like, hey, things may not work out, but we will keep fighting anyway. It does not offer a conclusion, but it does offer a hand to hold through life's inevitable troubles. They don't just exude toxic positivity, the kind that's all phony. Like, just cheer up. They keep it realistic. The silver linings they sing about are more authentic, and therefore resonate more. B is again described as having a duality, with the congratulations-themed skit signifying a shift to lighter material in the second half, after going through the blue and gray phase. The other notable fact about making the album B is that V said he was working on his own mixtape at the same time. So that's been really in the works. It's been getting prepared like a fine wine. Topic 16. All the times the author hit the nail on the head when it comes to summarizing why this group is so popular, what has made them stand out, what has made people resonate so much with them. There are just so many quotables from this author about why we love this group. One thing referenced is the IMF crisis and how the economic change that increased the gap between rich and poor, that led to a more fend-for-yourself mentality, which made their sometimes anti-capitalist and also just pro-equality messages resonate. They hit different after a real-world crisis and the sense of competition that people develop in times of economic struggle. People my age have developed. We've had many a financial crisis in the U.S. It makes you want to just look out for yourself. And so BTS's message of collective joy and just collective experiences, not competition amongst each other, but community, really hit different after those contexts came to fruition. And this quote, I found such a beautiful way of putting it. Each somewhere, between boy and adulthood, the members worried, wandered, and experienced a mix of joy and sorrow before finally coming face-to-face with the outside world, unquote. Their whole discography in a nutshell. They were in a transitory period of life that people could relate to. They wondered, worried, wandered, experienced joy and sorrow, and then felt ready to face the outside world. The book does reference the classic emerging into a new world, out of the egg, Abraxas, Damien story analogy. More on that in the BT Study Guides episode called BT Study Guide 1, Damien. Anyway, that key, key, key literary reference in BTS's work about the bird needs to leave the old world behind, the inside of the egg, to see the full second big world that's better eventually for that bird. That key metaphor for truly understanding the story in a nutshell, that was mentioned here. Topic number 17. Their sense of inadequacy in a perpetual state of fear over losing their perch. Basically, they find many different ways to say they've always had worries about what they sing about in the song Black Swan. That's probably their most autobiographical song. That metaphor about the higher you climb, the harder you fall. 
and the world is waiting for their precedent-setting, precedent-breaking climb, they're really extra precarious and quick to fall over it. They're on a very narrow high perch and fear what happens when they try to get down. Over time, their career has gained so much fame and acclaim and so many more haters. And as hate campaigns have risen, so too have passionate army willing to combat some of the bad fake PR with good stuff. But the passion and the anti-passion, I guess, the hatred, really swirling, they amplify each other. It's really quite a vicious cycle. They don't know how to stop it. It feels precarious and unsustainable. Sugar says, quote, it wasn't our intention to rise so high, and we can come tumbling down without intending to, too. It was during this time that I was most worried and bewildered, unquote. Sugar also recalls, as their popularity rose, as more people said they were a fan of them, the less people he actually trusted in his inner circle. Who is with you for the right reasons? Who is going to leave you the second you fall? They even use that wording a lot, like, they're waiting for us to fall, we worried because we climbed up too high, that kind of thing. Sugar recalled that they even still got some jeering during performances, even after the fandom started to grow, those hecklers were still there. He compared his feelings to that of a martial arts novel protagonist who keeps having to defeat another martial artist, doesn't know his own strength, like, how am I winning in these battles or at least being a good match for him skill-wise? How do I keep doing this and how many more opponents will I have to deal with, one after the other? It was made harder because of a lack of predecessors to look at, to know the blueprint, basically, to deal with this fame. Suga said, quote, If history books are the answer sheet to the present, then our Sungbeis, who did music before us, are our answer sheet. However, we had to deal with an additional something else, unquote. He recalls the emotional highs and lows being so high, then so low it was draining. And sometimes, like when he was working on the song First Love, ironically, about music, he started feeling like music was work, and that change to viewing it as just work was scary to him and sad. He just felt very overwhelmed with the unexpected fame and worrying about the future of what could happen and wondering about when it would all end and what that would look like. Quote, usually the ideal is so high and in most cases you suffer because reality can't keep up with it. But we were the opposite. It was like the ideal was beating up my reality, unquote. RM seemed to kind of second that when he said, quote, we're on a bridge made of glass and we can see how far it falls. So it's also scary, because just one crack means we're going to fall, unquote. The book mentions the suspicions anti-fans had when the growth from sales of the most beautiful moment in life were just beyond, 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 beyond the sales for Dark and Wild. That quick growth was suspicious to them. So they were accused of bulk purchasing, copies, manipulating the game, which one of the big hit employees had to deny on the phone when asked for comment, reportedly while vehemently in tears at the accusation. The author also describes intent to do checks, as they're called. Anti-fans trying to put a check on people, like put them in their place, expose them, generate negative PR for them. But that also led to an increase in the passion and defensiveness of the group among fans. Anti-fan vitriol rose, but as did fan counter-posting. Yeah, just so many high and low emotions here, and all unprecedented in their amount. To recap the main categories here, all the care and consideration that went into this book, the early years of Big Hit and BTS, the rap battles, social commentary, diversity as a strength, 
among the members and the fans. Love for the fans, love for each other, a true bond there. Savvy marketing mixed with good luck timing. Fun behind-the-scenes info about big iconic moments in their career. Mr. Bang's interesting hands-on efforts at times. Burnout, their feelings around the contract renewal. Being compared to other groups and how they perceive themselves under that term idol. Their popularity's evolution over time, stats-wise, sales-wise. Fearing when they will fall from their high perch. And the author finding so many different ways to summarize what about this group is so worth admiring and gave them such a big fan base globally. Yeah, this book covered so much. I'm so impressed with how much they packed in and all the care again that went into the book. The breadth and depth is truly astounding. This is really, really well thought out. So I highly recommend reading it yourself multiple times like I did. You get new takeaways, new details you forgot about the first time you read it as you read it again. Really a good look at not just BTS, but the bigger picture of the K-pop scene in which they rose through the ranks of and the unique fan culture they have given rise to. Before I let you go, though, there are a few miscellaneous thoughts that I want to share that just did not fit into any of the categories, but details about the book I wanted to share. The book includes one of my favorite thought-provoking quotes that's quite ambiguous, this lyric from in 52 My pain is like water and oil, it can never mix. I also love this Jimin quote. It's not that I didn't want to be alone, I just didn't want to be left behind. That's an interesting framing. V had some interesting insights into his own psychology, talking about this adolescence of the mind and a desire to prioritize the present moment, like a child would, as opposed to seeking happiness, being forward-thinking, thinking thinking down the road, more of an adult mindset. RM revealed Mono actually was done at least a year before it came out. All the songs on it had been done, so by the time he was like, maybe I'll release this, he was hesitant. He was like, this doesn't even match who I am right now. This is from me a year ago. Do I even release this anymore? Oh my gosh, imagine the world without Mono. Don't like that. Suga says that psychologically, he thinks a deeper understanding really helps as a musician. And quote, I have two dreams, and one is to be an old, white-haired man still standing on stage and playing his guitar and singing and the other is to become a licensed psychological therapist, unquote. He'd make a good one. I want him to stay doing music, become the old white-haired man, still playing microcosmos. But, you know, I could see him pursuing that career path and doing really well, too. He can be quite good at being stoic and clinical, analytical, and, of course, he has tons of empathy, compassion. I like the shout-out to TXT in the book. And how they note how they sold 77,000 Dream Chapter Star units, then went up to 1.24 million for Minisode 2 three years later. So that was really very fast. Lastly, the book ends with this quote from J-Hope. Quote, I always want to express my thanks to the other members, and we keep running ahead with the thought of, if ARMY can smile and rejoice, that is our ultimate happiness. Unquote. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Really love this book. Really love this band. I could go on and on even more, but I will leave it there for today. Thank you all so much for enjoying this two-part recap and checking it out. Any share of a show really helps boost visibility, as does comments. So remember, in Spotify, you can reply directly in a comment box right by the episode description. I read all your feedback. I appreciate it. It helps shape the show. More BTS-specific content in my BT Study Guides series of episodes. I can link to that in the description, too.
Thank you all so much for tuning in, and I'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody.